Hi, everyone. Welcome to our episode of Life Origami Podcast with Alan Nate. Today's show is about a big pivot in life where our guest, Lisa Peranzo, took a big transformation in life where she's been in the corporate world, got disappointed, went into a more self-employed mode, uh, self-employed mode, then understood that she's building a business and last year the business turned upside down and she had to make another huge pivot in life and go online. Welcome Lisa, I'm looking forward to like discovering all the journey that you've been on. Oh, thank you for having me. I, I'm so appreciative to you being here. And I'm so appreciative to the conversation we had before this. <laughs> like, we'll, we'll get back to that later. So Definitely. I'll myself if that's Yes, cool. please. Yes, please. My name is Lisa Pranzo. I'm the CEO and founder of A Healthful Life, which is a company of my own creation that, like you said, I never thought I'd have. <laughs> and it is an online personal training platform designed to help the busy adult find their fitness routine. So mm -hmm. I have multiple certifications in the fitness industry and all the fancy paperwork from all the formal education as well. Um, and I'll dive into my background if that's cool with you. So yeah, you let's let's discover like what, where did it all start <laughs> and uh, or, or, you know, uh, let's go in uh, in another way. Let's discover okay. uh, where are you at currently, ah. and uh, from that we will look into how it all started. So, oh, what are you cool. doing now? So, what I'm doing now, um, a healthful life is. I'm very, very grateful that I actually have this crazy idea to have an online business because a couple of years ago it was like, oh, why would you do that? And then COVID hit, and now it's like, oh, <laughs> that's why. <laughs> So a healthful life now, we still have the online private coaching component that I've had and the blog and the recipes and like all the stuff. And I know in the show notes, you'll have uh, the link to the website. So your listeners are more than welcome to go and check out all the things. And then when COVID hit, we took a massive pivot and started training live virtually because, you know, as most of us experienced, the gym shut down. So back... I'll backtrack a little bit. Well, this time last year, I didn't know what COVID was. It's February, 2021. Yeah, February, 2020, didn't know what it was. No shame in saying that. Come March, 2020, and I was like, oh, this is interesting. And I went to my brick and mortar one day, trained, and the next day it was closed. Mm. That fast, it shut down. And I gave all my people, my tribe, like a couple weeks, we were all kind of in our feelings. I think worldwide, we were all kind of in our feelings of being in this uncharted territory, not really knowing how to address it. And a lot of people thinking like, oh, in like two weeks, this will be done. Mm -hmm. I did not think that, that would be the case. Mm. Like from the get go, I was like, oh, dang, this is going to be a long time. So I gave everybody a couple weeks and then I started getting messages of people just being like, man, like I miss my routine. I miss going in and working out and miss the people that I'm around when I go in and work out, like the community that we have and seeing everyone and all that kind of stuff. And I, I was thinking about like how I could serve my community, mm. still working and doing everything I was doing with a healthful life. And I was like, let's just see how this goes. So I sent out a group text message. To like some of my original clients and, and said, 
Can I curse on your show? First of all. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, cool. I was like, this might be a clusterfuck. Okay, guys. But this is the overwhelming message that I'm getting is you guys are missing working out. You want to do something at home. You're not sure what to do. Let's do it together. It could be a mess. This might be a, the hot mess of all time, but let's just figure it out. And we started maybe like April last year doing online workouts every single week. And it, it has not stopped. I went back, I record all the workouts so people can't access them live. They go back in and grab them off of a Google Drive. I went back through and I was looking at it and it was like consistently three days a week. Mm. They're in working out with me, which was a pivot I mm-hmm. never thought I would take. A quick question, like in, in this process of um, you found yourself, right? Everything shut down a couple of weeks into realizing what the hell is going on. And what was your process of understanding what next step to take? Like, how did you understand that sending out a text message to your core clients is the right step? How did you come to that? I honestly didn't know it would be the right step. I just knew that I had a solution to their problem. I've worked out at home for years. It's what's worked the best for me. Being a busy parent, going to a gym was not always conducive for me. Uh, The other part of that was that I don't really like the gym environment. I don't like the comparison that goes on between Mm. people and that like underlying level of judgment, which, you know, I know we'll talk about this, but it, that goes back to my injury, mm-hmm. like truly having this understanding that every single body and every single person is different. So that kind of like big gym environment doesn't resonate with me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's very distracting for me. And I didn't really see person. I would go to a gym and go swim because my head would be in the water and I got like underwater headphones. You know, and then I wasn't looking at anyone mm-hmm. and that would be what I would do there. So, so basically, if I am, if I heard you correctly, what happened is that for a long time in your own experience, you enjoyed home exercises for a long time. You had a proven method that you've experimented on yourself. You've mm-hmm. came into a situation where you understood, right. I have value to give to my clients that used to go to the gym with me to do personal training. And I have this workout routine that I'm already doing for a long time by myself. And Mm -hmm. why not share it with uh, my clients that are now stuck at home and do not know what to do with, uh, with their fitness. Right. Exactly that. And it was beautiful. It was, we know, from COVID that one of the best things that you can do is be healthy, boosted immune system. You know, we all know that. And I didn't want to see their hard work fall off, Mm -hmm. especially when in my mind, I didn't think that we were going to be two weeks and out of this. You know, I didn't, I, April last year, I remember telling my husband, like, this is the rest of the year, at minimum, Mm. this is the rest of the year, if not even longer. Mm -hmm. So, and part of me was also like, I have worked my ass off with these people and I don't want to get back in the gym. And then we have to start like all the way at square one. Like some of these people I've been training for seven, eight years, Mm -hmm. 
Like I trained them before I even had my daughter. They knew me when I was pregnant. You know, I didn't want to see all the progress that they had made and the hard work that they had put in completely fall off because they didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. This so, actually builds really well on uh, on the topic that I want all the listeners to remember that one of the best things that uh, we can build the business on is our experience and what we are doing for ourselves. What the what the troubles and the issues and the nuances that we live through, that is where the strength and the value for others lies as well. And you're a great example, Lisa. Like, uh, let's let's uh, dive into the past of what got you to live through those experiences and understand for yourself and find for yourself that home fitness is is your way let's let's talk about where it all began oh you want me to go like all the way back to the yeah. injury well. so when i was uh a senior in high school um so i'm in southern california for your listeners just so they have a kind of awareness of where i'm at i enlisted in the army and i enlisted in the army uh it was right around a week after september 11th and did not enlist because of september 11th it just happened to be extremely coincidental timing. And the reason why I bring that up will make sense <laughs> as we keep talking. So I enlisted in the Army, and um, I didn't know that there was, like, an aptitude test that you needed to take when you got into the military in America. My bad. Took that, and they were like, oh, you scored so high on this that we actually want you to go to college first. We want you to go through a program called RMTC is like a delayed enlistment program so you go to college first you get your degree you commission as an officer in the military and then you owe them the four years of where you were in college essentially mm. so your service is on the back end so I decided to do that and you you go to military classes you take leadership courses you're held to the same physical standards as an active duty military person um, you go on training exercises, you go to like military schools as an ROTC, you know, candidate. And I ended up getting really severely hurt on a training exercise. So I was doing this exercise called fast roping, which What's is that? a way to, so have you seen the movie Black Hawk Down? Like how much am I aging myself? Okay. I got you. <laughs> so it is a way to insert troops into tight areas. So you okay. essentially slide down a rope out of a helicopter and land on top of a building. Mm, okay. Similar to how like firefighters mm-hmm. used to slide down poles. Same idea. So I did that and it was technically perfect. But when I hit the ground, I landed on a rock. Perfect landing, just landed on a rock perfect physics, my foot shattered, fractured, and dislocated. So my whole midfoot on my right foot imploded, basically. And I went from running, you know, five, six miles pretty much every day because I was physical requirements for the Army, working out all the time, having this extremely active lifestyle as a 19-year-old child because I Mm. was a child at 19, to being on bed rest at my parents' house, not knowing if I would walk again um, for a hot second, not even having a doctor who knew how to fix me. And not, I, thank God, found a really great doctor, but I didn't walk for the better part of like a year. 
Where, where were you then? Like in terms of uh, then you had a vision of building a life around military service. Mm -hmm. What was the situation where you would have realized like, okay, there's a chance of not walking again. And what was your mindset about the future of your life? I was lost. Mm. Everything that I thought was going to be went away. And when I first got hurt, the, the extent of my injury was unknown. We didn't know it for like a couple of days. Mm. And when we got to the point where we knew it, and then we couldn't find a doctor, it took like three doctors before we could find one who, she's amazing. She's an Enneagram 8 for sure. Now that I'm like thinking about it, <laughs> going back to our, our pre-recorded conversation, um, I, I was completely lost. Nothing in my life was untouched as a result of that. Mm. Every single relationship that I had changed. Every single aspect of my physical well-being changed. My academic, I was in college at the time, my academic, you know, approach and journey totally changed. And it left me with zero direction mm. at first. Because I didn't even know like a year down the line, what would my life look like? And then it became this, the people around me, you know, my parents, my community, my tribe, really focusing in on like, what do you want your quality of life to be? Mm. So in a, a bigger like societal, cultural context of all of this, and the reason why I brought up enlisting when I did was when I got hurt, we were in the beginning throes of really being in that conflict in Iraq and Afghanistan as Americans. Mm -hmm. And we were not at the point where troops were really coming home with a significant amount of injuries that a lot of them came home with. So even from that aspect, you know, my, like my social environment changed because the people that I had who were like my tribe we're going after active duty and going into mm -hmm. a war zone. You know, their head was in that game. My head was at home and trying to heal and trying to figure out like, what do I want to be when I grow up? Because now I have no idea. And what do I want the quality of my life to be like when I grow up? Because I thought it was going to be this one thing. And now this mm -hmm. is not my reality anymore. And what I, now what I understand is that I went through a tremendous amount of grieving. Mm like similar to a death, like every single stage of grief. And I had nowhere to go but through it because I was confined to a bed. Mm -hmm. It was like, you suck it up, like work through this. You have to work through this. And it did get to the point where all of those things and that feeling of being lost mm -hmm. I needed to seek professional help to be able to address those. Mm -hmm. And I did that. And I encouraged that for people. I went and I talked what to somebody. What was it? What, what was the help that you reached out to? Can you share that? What, what was, uh, who actually, and what helped you to get over that situation in life? Oh, I went and saw a therapist. Okay. Like, how long I did it take? Because, uh, I know for many listeners, um, it, for, for example, like I know in America, there there is a culture forming to have a specialist uh, working with you on a constant basis it is a normal thing. Yet mm -hmm. uh, in many other parts of the world, uh, this is something out of the region of, okay, 
if you go to a psychologist or, or a psychotherapist, then maybe you're a psycho or, you, you know, you're ill. The, and uh, it, it's like not to be, and people don't share, they, they are not vulnerable about the fact that they are visiting a professional because uh, the society will shame them for them. Like, uh, are you ill or like, are you sick or what the hell is wrong with you? And right. the, the question of mental health isn't about uh, like being... I don't know, without any problems is about being authentic and truthful with yourself that you do need help and you cannot ride it out alone. And there mm -hmm. are experts out there that can help you. And those are psychologists and psychotherapists that deal with mindset and emotions. Can you share that journey? Like uh, how did that journey impact you and how long did it take? It took a very long time, like years. I don't want your listeners to think that this was like an overnight process. I, and I mean, even just the process of seeking out a therapist and finding one that I liked and that I vibed with and could get something from, I knew what I wanted my end game to be. I knew that the emotions that I was feeling as a result of the trauma that I experienced was not something that I could process through on my own. Mm. I would be at a detriment to myself and a disservice to myself if I tried to approach that on my own. But then it even took a couple of tries to like find a therapist that I could really disclose a lot of these feelings to and feel safe doing it. How many? Uh, can you share like uh, how many therapists you went through and what was what was not fitting in? And, and in the end, the most interesting question is in the end, how did you understand that it fit in, that it, it was the right person? I think I saw three. The one that I stuck with, she was my third one. Um, I was with her for a couple of years, every week. And it it was just an energy feeling. Mm. Like I, I, it was just how I felt. How, mm. Even from like, I'm very big on like instinct, like gut instinct even just walking into her building and walking into her office and how she made me feel. Mm. What about the others? What didn't play out? I, I just didn't have that feeling. Mm. Okay. I didn't walk in with as much of a sense of like contentment as I did with her. Mm -hmm. And having that sense of contentment made me feel safe to be able to like share what I was going through. So uh, you've mentioned that that took you several years. When did you find the next step out of this abyss of just being lost? I don't even, I think I just got to the point where I felt better. Like I, I felt like, okay, I can accept this. I needed, I think I needed to get to the point where I could place my ego aside from like where I thought my body should be, because that was a lot of it for a number of years was like, pushing my physical limitations based off of mentally where I thought I should be and mentally where I thought I should be was pre-injury. Mm. And getting to the point where I could be like, no, I'm okay with not doing these things. It doesn't make me less. It doesn't make me weak. It doesn't make me not strong. It doesn't make me any of those negative things. It actually makes me more because what I'm doing is respecting my body mm and its capabilities and honoring that and honoring that journey and honoring that process. 
And what my body was doing in the meantime, when I was testing my limits was continually getting injured. <laughs> it would be like, I would do something and then I would get hurt and not like little shit, like herniated disc, throw out a joint in my shoulder, like gnarly stuff. And then that compounds on top of the original injury. And then you have that much more stuff to work through and to, to work into. And as things evolved over time for me and, you know, I got the formal education and I, I also got some fitness certifications and I started training on the side. It became this, like, why are we trying to shove people into a box with fitness when that doesn't work? Mm. It might work for some people, but it might not work for other people. And what I wanted people to have was this sense of like accomplishment and positivity and success when they walked away from training people training with me and i was noticing that shoving them into a box was not necessarily creating it and then i was also noticing in my own workouts that i was not shoving myself into a box and i got into a place where i accepted that and i was like i know i can still get a good workout i know i can still get a good sweat on i know i can still see you know results and change uh, the like, non-scalable victories and the scalable ones as well. And I can do that in my own way. So I continued in corporate America for like a hot second because that's what you're told. To do. Let's rewind that a little bit. Uh, it, like we were in a place where you don't know uh, who you want to be. You're lost. You, you don't know that you're going to walk again. Uh, you've invested several years into therapy. Uh, like in between that therapy, uh, what was your journey? Because you have a bachelor's in psychology, you have a master's in human behavior, you have multiple certifications, as you said, in many different fitness cultures. Uh, where, when did you understand that uh, get, getting a bachelor's in psychology was the thing that you wanted to pursue after everything that happened? So I was in college when I got hurt mm -hmm. and I did not stop going to school. Mm, okay. Even while I was hurt, I knew I was going to get my bachelor's in psychology. The military did pay for my bachelor's degree. Um, so I, I was just like, I'm going to finish this. <laughs> and I knew prior to going into the military and prior to starting my bachelor's that I would get advanced degrees. That was what I wanted. I just thought I would do it while I was active duty military. Mm -hmm. um, so... When I finished my bachelor's, I took a little bit of time, maybe like a year in between to kind of figure out what I would want my master's to be. I went into corporate America, I started working, and then it was just, I've always been curious about people and how their mind works and what motivates them and what drives them. Not necessarily, I guess from an analytical standpoint, but also from just a, a pure curiosity standpoint. I knew I didn't want to be a therapist. That was never something that resonated with me. But I knew I wanted to get a master's degree in something that was like on the realm of psychology. Mm -hmm. So I went and got my master's for human behavior. Mm. How did that impact what you do currently? I think for me, it gives me a greater understanding of where my clients are at. Mm. I think the formal education that I have has helped me tremendously in understanding the people around me. Can you give some examples like how maybe with your clients or um, how uh, how 
that education of understanding human behavior and psychology is helping you to tailor the approach to your clients? I think the biggest thing, and this will, this goes with every, pretty much every client that I have is that understanding of my degrees of being able to look at their excuses as limitations that they're putting on themselves. And it also has in my own experience as well has given me the ability to speak to them in a loving and kind way that doesn't make them feel small because they're already doing that to themselves. They're already so critical of themselves and uh, thinking that they're not doing enough and that they're failing themselves that it allows me to have a more authentic and honest conversation with them so that they can relay those vulnerabilities to me and then we can break them down mm. and unpack them. I think is like the trendy term right now, <laughs> but so that we can unpack them. And what that ends up doing is it gives them a better result. Mm. So you're, you're doing a synthesis of not only training as physical and nutritional uh, training for people, but you're also helping them with mindset questions that mm -hmm. are also a big part of them getting fit, mm -hmm. right? So as, yeah. as they say, like I, I hear the saying that 80% of the workout is done in the kitchen, right? Is that is that true? <laughs> a lot of it, yeah. It's sad. I'm sorry. But yeah, abs are really built in the kitchen. A lot of, you know, there's a genetic component that goes into it. There's obviously a physical component, but there is also a really big nutritional piece. And even just understanding why you go towards certain foods when you go to them. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, like I'm not a certified nutritionist in that I did not go to college for that. So I know when someone is outside of my realm of expertise on that, and I'm very happy to refer them out or have them seek outside sources mm -hmm. when it comes down to things like metabolizing, like if there's a neuroendocrine issue, I'm not addressing that. They need to go seek outside help. But when it comes to like basic eating habits, the formal education helps with that tremendously. Why are you turning to food? What is your relationship like with food? Women have a very interesting relationship with food. You're chuckling because no, I'm right. <laughs> uh, I, I believe men as well, but we just yes. hide it. <laughs> yeah. And some men, some men don't hide it, but yeah, it, we have a very, very interesting relationship with food. And it is from this standpoint of what I've seen of I need to deprive myself to get the results that I want. But if I'm given access to that one thing I've been depriving myself of, I am going to binge it until it pass out or mm. feel sick or both. So <laughs> no, no, no good balance, no healthy balance between those right. things. Right. So for me, assuming that there's no outstanding other issues, it's a matter of helping the person find balance, mm -hmm. which is the deeper underlying issue of why are you doing the behavior in the first place? Mm -hmm. And let's address that. And then let's address how we create balance as a result of that. Mm -hmm. So uh, basically, You've went into fitness uh, after having your degrees in psychology and 
um, what made you decide on uh, on the directions? Like, did you pick randomly, or did you pick what was exciting, or or you've <laughs> listened to what people need and you studied that? What what was your journey into decision making and what to study? I so when I was in corporate America, I. I literally just got, I said this to you earlier, I know, where I got disillusioned with it. I felt like I wasn't serving in a big enough way. I wasn't reaching enough people. My time wasn't being leveraged as well as what it could have been. And I wanted to reach, I wanted to help more people. I felt like I wasn't doing enough. So... I left corporate America. I went into fitness full time, not understanding that that made me an entrepreneur, but truly it did, right? Because now I'm self-employed and I have to hustle and like all the things, which was fine, but it was what motivates and like what resonates with me the most? What do I want to work on the most? So it was that personal training aspect. I was training in a Pilates studio and then it was how do I train my clients in a way that continues to motivate them, challenge them and keep them coming back? Mm. I want them to continue to come back. Not from a monetary gain perspective, but from an, I want them to see how strong they are. And I've said this multiple times, like my Instagram stories, I talk about this a lot. What I've noticed with people is there's this nonchalantness when it comes, is that a word? I'm going to make a word. When it comes to the things that we've overcome in our life. And I know that because I listen to the people that I train. They'll talk about these obstacles that have been presented to them. And they've overcome them with all of this grace and all of this beauty. And then they'll look at this 10 minute like EMOM, like every minute on the minute interval workout. And they'll be like, oh my God, I can't do it. But my perspective is, but you made it through all those other hard things. So why is the 10 minute workout going to be the thing that owns you? So it, it evolved into how do I help people step into their strength? How do I help people step into their power? And how do I help people understand that having the confidence that comes out of that is a good thing? It's not something to shy away from, and it's not something to be ashamed of. Mm -hmm. You should be proud of that and Let's, excited mm -hmm. about that. But for me, that goes back to the injury because every time post-injury, I would do something physical. That was what I was having to work towards. Am I going to focus on this isn't where I think I should be, and so I'm going to give myself a hard time and be critical of myself, or am I going to say, shit, you did that today. The perspective that I have now when I move my body, even if it's the worst workout of all time and I feel like I'm going to throw up, I can do this. I get to do this. I can do this. And I also know what it's like to not be able to. Let's transfer this mentality into discovering what was the journey of starting, like leaving corporate America and starting your own business. How did that assist you? And what did you discover in your first steps of building a business? Like if, if I understood correctly, when you left corporate America, you already had side clients in, in the sphere of training and fitness. Now, uh, transitioning into a full-time trainer, 
what did life become and what did you have to learn quickly to put everything in place? Oh, life became a lot more fulfilling immediately. I just felt better. I don't, I, there's no like other way to put it. It was like immediate. I remember leaving the office mm-hmm. my last day in corporate America and, and I was going to be like a month without really steady work. And for most people that would be terrifying. And for me, it was liberating. Mm. But had you asked me back then, so that was, now I have to think, that was 2012 when I left corporate America. Well, I started in the fitness industry in 2008. So I, if you had asked me back then, like, what is life going to look like for you in five years? I never would have thought that I would have an online business. That wasn't in my realm of thinking at all. It literally was just like, I'm going to go and train people. I'm and that was and local, right? So you were yeah. focusing on a local market, on uh, on local clients. What was mm-hmm. that like back then? Because I believe that many who are listening, um, there's so much digital talk around that mm-hmm. we forget that we are living in a physical world, that there was a time where we didn't have the digital aspect yeah. and everything still worked and we still had business and everything was still flowing. How did you make that happen? It was it was amazing. I had the brick and mortar that I train out of. I still work for that owner. She's phenomenal. She took a, a chance on me. It was like, I'm opening up this new spot. I'll give you a job. So I was like, shit okay <laughs> so basically basically in a sense what that was for you it's you partner up mm-hmm. with, with a place that had clients and no. she was brand new she had no clientele well in a, in a way what i mean is that the place even though it's brand new but it served as a client magnet to the local mm-hmm. people exactly. and you've yeah. partnered up and you gave a percentage of what you've earned for private training into into let's say this partnership right and uh, this is an interesting thing that uh, i would like to point out for all the listeners is that life is about partnering up and it's okay to give up a percentage of what you earn to your mm-hmm. partner just for the sake of your partner providing you with clients mm-hmm. and that yeah. is purely normal and that's how business was always done and it's not yeah. about saving every single last dollar or euro or whatnot you're making right. uh, to yourself it's about learning to balance your business in a way where you can pay the people who bring you clients and you have a stable business the only question mm-hmm. is how much are you willing to give up of your income to provide a steady flow of clients and partner right and i sat down and did that math i knew how much i would make so I had just gotten my Pilates certification, which up into that date was the monetarily speaking, the most I had invested in a certification. I wanted to make that money back. I knew I had like a six month time frame. I wanted to make that money back by so that I could, you know, break even in my mind, start pulling a profit. I knew I was teaching group classes at the time, how much money I would make per head of in the class 
where I need you. Oh, it sounds so funny, per head. Usually it's like kettle yeah. head. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> True. Um, so I knew on average how much I would need to work to make that happen. Beautiful. And I like, I reverse engineered all of it to go back to that original like amount that I would need. And then to be able to start pulling a profit from there. But plus taking into account all the costs that you have of living and everything exactly. else. Mm -hmm. Right. Drive time, a gas, like all, all of those things as well. And also taking into account this was a brand new brick and mortar. It did have lead magnets in terms of marketing, but it was a completely not unestablished clientele at the time. For me, I saw that as an opportunity. A lot of people were like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. Like, there's not people already there. For me, I was like, yes, this is perfect. Because then I can train them and mold them how I want them to be. And nobody, like, they're new. No one else has touched them. So this is going to be mine and mine alone. And I also knew that it gave me the opportunity to foster community within my community. Mm. To create the kind of environment that was the antithesis of what I saw at a big gym where people generally speaking go at the same ish times every day. You're going to have that. You're going to know who's next to you. You're going to, you're going to know about their spouse. You're going to know about their dog. You're going to know about their kids. You're going to chat before class. You're going to hang out after class. Like you're going to do, you're going to know them. Mm. And if you know them and you can love, encourage, and support them and build them up in this environment, everybody wins because everybody's going to see results faster because they know in that environment, they're safe to fail. And then it was me coming in as the instructor and, and figuring out where they were and what steps it was going to take to get them to where I wanted them to be. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's dive into this idea. Uh, usually it's the other way around, right? Is that where, where they come in, they say where they are and where they want to be. And you're saying that, uh, you do work from a perspective that you see the potential of where they can be and you're mm -hmm. helping them to achieve what you see in them as potential. Is that right? right? Well, because the difference is, is that they come in with their goals, but their goals are usually like, I want to lose X amount, insert a number here. Mm -hmm. Right. Mine is, I want you to be healthy. I want your back to feel good. I want you to have the tools that you need so that when you leave my presence, you can do this on your own. Mm. And I, yeah, like, I want you to lose weight and I'll help you get there. Like, cool. But I want you to have confidence in your body as it is. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was what I like set forth to go and do. And then to even evolve it from there, I got pregnant <laughs> and <laughs> had my daughter. Uh, and what I started seeing as a result of that was every mom I trained, it was like the same thing. It was like, I'm so busy. I can't do this. I can't dedicate this amount of time to being in the gym. Childcare is an issue. You know, it all, it all became an issue. 
And meanwhile, this whole time I had been working out at home, like really since my injury, I had been working out at home because like I said earlier, the gym environment was too distracting mm -hmm. to me. I also didn't like the competitive aspect to it. That look at it. You come in and you show up and work out. That is 90% of the battle right there is taking the time out of your schedule to do the workout. Already you get a gold star. The last thing I want you to do when you're in the workout then is to be distracted by somebody else because if you're distracted by somebody else, you're going to get hurt or you're just going to feel like shit when you leave. And then what's the point? So I have my daughter. I started noticing this problem and I, I was like, how can I help people get to where they want to be physically when they feel like they're that strapped for time? Like I get paid to work out. So my jam is different. Right. But most people, you know, are in a traditional corporate environment. They're working, you know, set hours during the day. There's commute time built in on top of that. And then they have families on top of that, all the demands that they have from at home. So the prospect of them even doing a 20 minute workout is too daunting. It's too overwhelming. They can't figure out how to work it into their day. I can help them figure it out and I can help them figure out how to do it at home because I figured it out for myself. So what am I doing if I'm sitting on all this knowledge and I'm not sharing it? And that was already in COVID time that you realized, or was it before? That was before COVID. So I started a healthful life as a blog. I think I told you it was <laughs> a blog because I had clients telling me, uh, when I would train them, the feedback I get when I train is that I'm really funny and I'm super motivating. And most of my funny stories are about my family. Sorry, husband, if you're listening to this, it's true. You are fodder when I teach. Sorry. <laughs> and my dogs, they're fodder as well. And they were like, you should start a blog. Like you need to write this down. Your daughter needs to know where your head was at. Like when she was little, she's six now. So this was when she was like two or three. So I started writing down all of these stories about her and people started going to it. And I was like, oh, okay. And then it was, they didn't have time to come in and work out. And I started giving them workouts to do at home. And it, it kind of evolved from there into me taking on private clients virtually because that was easier than them figuring out a way to come and meet me in person mm. and tweaking their fitness game from there. And then I took it online and went to Instagram and started promoting it there, not having a clue what I was doing, by the way. <laughs> and I started doing it there. And, and, you know, this is like two years ago, maybe, and started growing an audience base and connecting with people and helping people. And, you know, it kind of started snowballing and snowballing and snowballing and then COVID. And it was a complete pivot. Uh, well, you've mentioned yeah. in the idea that you you were already helping people, like you had a blog, you've uh, basically did virtual training for some of your clients, mm -hmm. you've been already on Instagram and growing your following, growing your message, then what was the pivot about? The pivot was when before COVID hit, the online training that I was doing was not personal training, it was coaching. Mm. It was working through the mindset stuff, you know, unpacking the nutritional issues, all that stuff. 
I would give them the workouts to do. And it was on the honor system that they were doing it. Mm. I would help them plan it into their day. I would, you know, it was like preset, ready to go. This is what you're going to do. Okay. You're going to do it this day. It's going to happen at this time. These are the weights that you're going to use, whatever. So basically it was like a a virtual coaching slash training where you Mm -hmm. provided them with the information, what they need to do. And then it's, it's up to them. Did they do it or not? Because it's more of like consulting service uh, rather than actually following through and looking at them like, what the hell are you doing now? Right. Okay. And every week it would be reviewing their progress. Mm -hmm. And then when COVID hit, it was, okay, now I'm actually going to like train people. Mm. (laughs) Like we're going to have live zoom workouts. And that's what it became was a live zoom workout. So we Mm -hmm. still have the private coaching component where it's more of that, like you said, like consultation. And then there's also actual live workouts Mm -hmm. that we're doing because the gyms have been closed. and, And for me, even so California, I think we've gone on lockdown three times at this point serious everything is shut down lockdown and a lot of people what i started noticing you know it started with like one workout once a week mm-hmm. and then we moved to two and then we moved to three and each one does a different thing and people were saying like man even when gyms reopen like i don't know that i'm going to be comfortable with going I don't want to go and work out wearing a mask or, you know, my gym before that I was working out in had daycare and now they don't have daycare. The biggest one is the gym is open, but I have to reserve a time and I can't do that with my schedule Mm -hmm. right now. My kids are learning online. I'm trying to work from home. It's like too much of a cluster for people. Mm -hmm. So this has been the better solution. So even through the open and the shut and the open and the shut that we've gone through as a state, they've continued to do the online workouts. It's just more conducive to their schedules right now. I don't know in fairness if the online workouts will continue. I, you know, why not? Hmm? Why not? I tell them that I'm I'm of service to them. If they want it to continue, we'll figure out a way to make it work. Mm. If it's no longer serving them, I'll move on from it. Okay. I don't have like a sentimental attachment. I will say this though. They have done more, I think, especially from like a weightlifting interval perspective than I think they ever thought possible for their own bodies. Cool. I mean, they look, um, I trained them before I got on with you this morning. Like they look amazing. And rest assured, they're still equally as sassy over video as they are in person. So (laughs) 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 it works out. (laughs) Um, What about, let's let's discover like doing this pivot to full online. Like you kind of go out, uh, you're doing everything from home. What was the toughest challenge you faced in terms of business and how did you overcome it? The toughest challenge for me with doing the online workouts was figuring out how many people I would want in the workout. Mm, Okay. So that sounds kind of odd. So I do the online workouts as a donation-based workout. And that, that's also like my, my personal thing. I work out with them. I would be working out regardless. So it's like no skin off my nose to be on a zoom doing it and talking through it. That doesn't bother me. 
the donation based piece was because you know i'm sure you can relate to this too where you're at a lot of people lost their sources of income you know maybe they lost their job or you know this pandemic has impacted people in every way Mm -hmm. and i didn't want people to feel like they could not participate because they were strapped financially okay I wanted people to come in and have the opportunity to move so that they could find some stress relief because this pandemic has impacted everyone and the mental health aspect of that being a big part of it as well. So if they can come in and they can work out, feel a little less anxious, feel a little less stressed, feel a little bit more connected to their community. Cool. From the trainer perspective and me being a business owner, I didn't want it to be a crap load of people on a screen. That's a liability standpoint for me. That's a safety thing. I need to be able to clearly see like each tile on the Zoom to see what they're doing so I can make sure that they're moving safely Hmm. because I'm not there in front of them. I have to be able to see what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So in the beginning, it was like a couple people and I've kept the group really small and I've done that intentionally because I need to be able to see what they're doing. They also need to be able to ask me questions. If they're doing something, it confuses them or they're moving and they go into a place of acute pain and they're not sure why we need to be able to adjust those things around. So for me, it wasn't a number standpoint. Like how many people do I want to have? In Where did you settle? 10 or less. 10 or less. Interesting. Because for me, in terms of individual working with people, I found that a group of four to five people was optimal for every single person to get their own personal attention. Like for masterminds, for example, mm-hmm. I, I believe in a sense that when we, when we do the works together, each member of the group needs to get their individual attention every single time we meet. I really mm-hmm. don't understand the idea of this hot seats where you have 10 people and only one or two people get attention and all others just sit uh-huh. and contribute. Like, it's not my thing. I, I don't get it. Like, I wouldn't want to participate in such thing. It's not my, like, yeah. it's not my game. And I believe that everyone needs to, needs to have a win in this. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I guess in, in terms of personal training where you provide exercises and you, you, you look at the 10 people because that's, let's say, the screen can give you the needed space to view everyone um, and uh, provide individual attention. But yeah, definitely under 10 people, that's, that's where the, let's say, safe zone for individual attention lies for me as well. Right. Yeah, because it's, it's everybody is moving at the same time and we're all doing this stuff at the same time. Mm-hmm. So for me, that number felt comfortable mm-hmm. so that um, I can make sure that if I saw something, I would be able to see the thing that was like, uh, no, you need to stop that. Like we need to adjust it around. An interesting question for you from a business perspective. I know that in some cases, like the, the business model of um, not specifically donations, but pay for the perceived value. Um, is a thing that is getting more and more popular where you actually provide a service like for example restaurants that adopted the um, let's say the payment method where you come in you choose everything that you want to eat but you pay as much as you value it right so if you value a dish for 20 bucks you pay 20 bucks if you value it for five you pay five if you value it for 100 you pay 100 
So in terms of uh, having it, no, that's happening in America. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there is. Yeah, there is America. I haven't heard of it. Yeah, there are. Uh, this is a, a business model that is gaining uh, a lot of attention, and uh, it's been proven to be profitable in many cases. I can totally see that. And uh, what I wanted to ask is, uh, from your experience, um, if you would have charged uh, a fixed amount, would you have been earning more or less than you're earning through donations? Hmm. Probably right around the same when I like break it down per person and on average the donations per class. Are the donations like fixed or you let them pay whatever they value? I let them pay whatever they're comfortable with. Okay. That's very interesting. Because this this business model is uh, is one of the ideas where uh, you're not imposing prices and you just let people actually enjoy the service and pay as they go for the perceived yeah. value. And that's what you're currently doing. And it proves yeah. to that you're making the same money, basically, mm -hmm. without the need of saying how much well, you're worth. And that kind of business sense, too, I actually feel like I'm making more. Mm. You know, because out of the brick and mortar, like, for instance, if I were to give a private session, the brick and mortar takes a cut mm -hmm. of the private as a rental fee. Right. So then I'm walking away with like X amount of dollars. But then when you factor in commute time, gas and a babysitter. And a lot of why I uh, I actually am like really enjoying this is because it gives me that flexibility to do this without having to factor in a babysitter. Mm -hmm. You know, before I would work at nights at the brick and mortar, I have since given up those shifts. Um, and I had to have a babysitter every time. Mm -hmm. So then it became a matter of reverse engineering that. Am I making enough money to justify the cost of childcare? Mm -hmm. And luckily my child is old enough now that she knows if mommy's in the gym and mommy's teaching a class, I can come in if it's an emergency, but she's okay in the house by herself, like playing and having independent playtime. And, you know, that's like the don't use the stove, don't turn on the microwave, fire is hot <laughs> <laughs> sort of thing. And, and all of my clients know her. You know, like I said, a, a lot of these clients I've had for a number of years. Some of them even knew me before I was pregnant. So for them, it's kind of cute, too, that they get to see her. Like she'll come in every once in a while with her whatever outfit of the day she's chosen. And they get a kick out of like seeing her, too. So it's for me. In that regard, this has been more profitable. Hmm. Very interesting. Um, let's dive into a little bit. What can you, from a standpoint of a trainer and people and a person who assists um, the health state, like mental, emotional, and uh, and physical, uh, what can you uh, suggest to all that are in a position that they need to work on their fitness? and uh, are dreading the idea that they have to work out from home. Um, mm. What would you suggest in terms of how to get into it in a most or at least resistant way? The least resistant way. The fitness for me is a lot about intuition. Uh, the fitness term for that is auto-regulation. 
Mm. So it's the idea that if you're doing something and inherently it doesn't feel good or you move from a place of acute pain, you need to stop. You need to move from a place of like love and respect for your body. And, and what that does internally is it causes certain reactions within your central nervous system that help your body feel better, you know, and then in a way bigger sense, when you feel more successful, you get that rush from the work of that endorphin rush at the end of the workout, then you're feeling like really good. So what I encourage people to do is to find the kind of workout that appeals to them. Mm. So if I were to tell you, if you're like, I want to start working out and I'm like, okay, go run a mile. And you're like, but I don't like running. When you say, but I don't like running, what's going to happen if I tell you to go run a mile four days a week, one day a week, you might do it, but three other days of the week, you're going to find excuses to not. And then what you're going to come back to me with are those excuses. Work did this, my kid did this, and then my dog, blah, blah, blah. I get it. But I know that you will make time for the thing that is appealing to you. So if you're like, I want to work out and I want to work out four days a week. And I know that I have half an hour each time to do that. Mm. And what I really, really like to do is let me pull something from my ass right now. <laughs> I like to play soccer. Let's find a way for you to go kick a ball and run and do that. Or if you're like, I want to just move some heavy shit. All right, let's get a lifting program in place for you. That's kind of where the benefit of all of these certifications is really coming in beautifully right now is being able to address that problem. Mm -hmm. So basically I'm for you can find a, an approach from mm -hmm. anywhere, uh, from CrossFit and lifting and, uh, all that sort where you do power training all the way down to something more relaxing and soothing, such as Pilates and yoga and all that sort, right? Yeah. yeah, I just got my kettlebell certification for that purpose because I had a client who she loves to do kettlebell work. That's her jam. Mm. And she will make the time in her schedule to do a kettlebell workout. Mm. But if I were to tell her, I want you to go play basketball for an hour. She'd be like, man, I don't really want to. That's what the excuse is, is ultimately that underlying, like, I don't want to. Mm -hmm. So I will find a reason to not. Whereas I want you to find a reason to do it. Mm -hmm. And I want it to feel good for you. Because I know that that feeling builds. That feeling of feeling good builds. And eventually that becomes that healthy lifestyle. How, like, uh, for, for example, for, for people who've been on a lockdown for a year now, and uh, they've, uh, in many, in many cases, haven't touched an idea of working out for a year, for example, um, how to start to find that pleasure for yourself, like how maybe how to discover uh, the pleasure of working out again, or even ever. <laughs> not not again, but ever. <laughs> the biggest thing is finding that thing that inherently appeals to you and then being patient with yourself. I don't think that we're patient enough with ourselves. And well, what does that mean? 
it means giving yourself the grace of time to get that transformation that you want. Mm. I think that we're in this like microwave generation of like change needs to happen in 30 seconds. And that's not realistic. If you've been pretty much sedentary for the past year Mm -hmm. and you've put on weight as a result and your body feels like shit, let's just be honest. You feel like absolute trash right now. It's not going to change overnight. So what I would encourage people to do is get a journal I do have a point with this. Find out what inherently appeals to you. What can you can you name some questions? Yeah, about how to find what appeals. Like if I said, if you told me you had thirty minutes to work out, what would be the first thing that came to your mind for what you would want to do? Mm -hmm. What's the first thing? Or if I said to you, you said I have thirty minutes to go work out, and I said let's go do a hit workout. Would you shy away? What's your reaction? Would you be like, all right, let's do it. Or are you like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Pass. (laughs) 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 Or if you said, I have 30 minutes to work out. And I said, all right, let's go do some yoga. What, what's your reaction to it? You know what I believe? I believe that would be cool for everyone who is listening. If um, you could create an opportunity checklist in terms of what kind of workouts can you do at home in mm-hmm. a way that um, takes into account potential limited space and still like gives a variety like uh, having a checklist of what is possible to do at home oh, i already and, have that friend and that i sent you is all those pre-made workouts i have a youtube channel that's got more hit workouts on it and pilates Oh, and all of cool. it is from home. Mm. At home with minimal equipment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I realize too, I have the equipment. Also, I get paid to do this. Not everybody has that. Not everybody has the space either where they live, right? They're going to be very limited on that. So that's already been. Tell us a little bit more about the freebie. What's in there? What can uh, What will people get from looking at it? So the freebie are pre-made workouts that are ready to go from your living room. Okay. Quick, short, hit style workouts. You can use dumbbells with them. Uh, what is a hit uh, hit exercise? Like what is high intensity interval training? Okay. Mm-hmm. So what you're doing is you are working for either a number of reps or a specified amount of time, and then you get a rest period. So what you will feel is your heart rate doing this like cyclical thing Mm -hmm. uh, i've had people tell me it's similar to it feels similar to sprinting when they push like really really hard the idea is is that it's a very efficient way to build muscle and burn calories when you're short on time Mm -hmm. so these hit workouts you can use with weights and they're ready to go like plug and play use them go with it Mm -hmm. or you can use them without weights up to you their baseline foundational level workouts that will help jumpstart you if it's appealing to you that you can make harder or easier depending on where your body's at mm-hmm. that's the freebie Got the website has a link to the youtube channel that if you subscribe to it those workouts are also free and that has like 30 minute 
mat Pilates workouts on there and like 10 minute, 15 minute mat Pilates workouts on there. If that's a more appealing thing to you, it's got other hit workouts on there as well for people to go along with every single day as well on my Instagram. I put workouts up mm. for people to use. Those workouts are specifically designed for the busy adult who doesn't have an hour to spend working out, who wants to get it done in 30 minutes or less. Here's a question for you. Um, I know that many people, uh, due to not working out or not taking care of their body ever uh, or doing it really rarely, can have physical conditions that even, even additional weight that they've put on during that year uh, or many years without any exercise can have uh, potential uh, bad effects on the joints uh, and bones and everything else. And doing HIIT exercises can be potentially really a heavy burden on the body. How to get into <laughs> how to get into exercising, taking into account like potential trauma or like uh, for, for example, like. Um, for me as a person who, who suffered uh, like four years ago, I had uh, a diagnosis of free hernias uh, in, in the lower spine. And uh, even though that uh, these days it doesn't bother me and I didn't do a, like say a secondary checkup to see what, what is their size, did they like uh, contract and so what is happening down there. But in general, I know that um, two years ago. I've, uh, I've been doing training. Um, I've been on the marathon for a month and I did get really good results and everything was really great. I've, I've done my first 5k run uh, there and uh, like it was really cool. But then um, I got tired and I stopped working out again. And uh, still I'm worried that introducing high interval or really a lot of, let's say, pressure on my body, especially like I know that I've put on additional 10, k 10 kilograms uh, throughout the last one and a half years that came out of nowhere, like unexpected. Like I had my weight uh, stagnating at a level for a really long time and then it just boop, went out, went up uh, five kilos. And I was like, I, I don't get why. And yet uh, it, it is uh, really putting a lot of pressure on the spine, especially the lower spine when I work out, when I walk and everything else. In those kind of situations, when people do find that they have, uh, let's say, a medical condition where they cannot apply a lot of pressure on their body, what should they start with to get going, to start building up their their body, uh, how to probably say it in English? Oh, like body composition? Huh? Like body composition? Uh, yeah, like strengthening the muscles of, mm -hmm. of the back of, uh, of the abs so that they hold up this, the spine and support it and then develop further. What, what can you suggest in this case? The first thing with stuff like that, especially where you know that there's injury to the body, you need to consult the doctor. Like that is a non-negotiable for me. If I have some, I've been really lucky to train a lot of people who have had very significant injuries consult a doctor and let your doctor tell you if there are specific exercises or things that are contraindicated for your body as a result of injury. Mm. So for instance, with your back, a lot of the times with back injuries like that, articulating through the spine and certain means of rotation through the spine are contraindicated. You can make the herniation worse as a result of doing these movements. Depending on 
you know, where you're at in terms of when the herniation happened, how bad it is now, how much you've moved past it, your body awareness, there's lots of stuff that goes into it. That's my first thing. Talk to your doctor because your doctor is going to tell you, I don't want you doing X, Y, and Z. And that's a good start place for me as a trainer. When it comes to implementing in exercise, again, it's finding if you're like, I want to start with hit stuff. Everybody can do that. That doesn't mean that you need to be going like full force, balls to the wall, being super extra with it. You don't have to do it like that. That's why like that freebie is designed the way that it is, that it's very like baseline. Mm. So that you can look at the workout and be like, okay, I can meet my body where I'm at right now. Mm -hmm. The point is to move. It's to not move from a place of pain. Mm -hmm. So then you can get into your workout, even if it's like, I'm going to go, I want to go for a walk. Maybe that's where you start. You're like, I want to go for a walk. I want to walk five days a week. I want to make it be at least a half an hour so that I can like break a little bit of a sweat, feel my heart rate come up. I'm going to do that for a couple of weeks and then I'm going to move into this other you know, whatever it might be that feels good for you. The in terms of the intervals, like uh, you said uh, right now that there, there should be a step-by-step -step process of increasing difficulty of your workouts. Uh, mm -hmm. In terms of uh, providing an understanding of the, let's say, the level of training that you need to put in and the amount of time, when is the, let's say, a healthy period where you can step up the game from what you're doing now? That varies from individual to individual. What I would say, generally speaking, if you're looking at a HIIT workout, let's say that it's like a prescribed time. So you're going to be working for like 30 seconds on this single one exercise at this specific prescribed weight, which is different mm -hmm. for everybody. Because here's the thing is I could give you the exercise and depending on where your body's at, maybe like five pounds is sufficient. But if I give it to somebody else, maybe they need three, maybe somebody else needs 15. It varies. So, you know, as a caveat, when I train in person and I'm prescribing weight, depending on the exercises that we're doing, I give a range. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody has to figure out what works for them. When it comes to leveling up on the fitness, the general rule of thumb that I have is if you are able to get like 12 plus reps per interval of exercise and you are hauling ass through them. You don't feel like you've worked at all. You need to increase the weight, but increasing the weight doesn't mean that you jump up 10 or 15 pounds. Like maybe you go from the three to the five, mm -hmm. see how that feels. So okay, incremental small eight. steps of increasing. Right. Because don't don't be have, a hero and try to show hero. you. Don't be a hero. Now, if you go up to the five, let's just say you started at three and you go up to the five and the five still feels too easy. Okay, we can increase you again. But those increases are only able to happen if you are moving with the correct form in your body. So what I really encourage people to do is to listen to the feedback that their body is giving them. Mm. If they start moving from a place of pain, that is your body telling you to stop. But I want people to know the difference between work and pain. And it should that? feel, you know, it should feel challenging. It should feel hard. You should be pushing yourself, but not 
moving from this place of like, I am in such staggering pain now. Like the pain is, it's painful. It's blinding me. Like it hurts so much. Does that make sense? Like, am I articulating myself well enough? It, it sounds like uh, two extremes. Um, can you, like, in, in terms of what is a norm to feel when you're exercising? You should feel work through your muscles. Like, you should feel your muscles working and exerting themselves. You should feel breathless through points at your interval. Not like I'm going to pass out, but like I'm breathing heavy. You should be breaking a sweat. But it shouldn't be to the point where you feel like shooting pain through your legs, for instance. Mm -hmm. Right? Or like shooting pain up your neck. I don't want you feeling those things. But like if you're doing a squat, for instance, I want you to feel like your hamstrings are working and your butt muscles are working and your core is firing and engaged. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is the opposite of what you feel when you lay on the couch. <laughs> mm-hmm. Got you. So all of those things, you know, being respectful to your body. It, when you were talking about core strength earlier and like building up your core strength and doing these things, all of that will come with time. But a lot of the times what happens is we get to this point where we've regressed and then we feel crappy and we put on weight and we feel super icky And then we just, we want it all gone. We want it all off. And the answer for most people is to go like balls to the wall, like hella crazy with their workouts because their ego is getting in the way. Mm -hmm. When for me, it's like, it didn't take an, it wasn't an overnight process for you to regress that much. So you can't start either where you stopped before, if you were working out before and you stopped or where you think you should be. Be patient with yourself. Mm. Start with the gentler approach. Take the incremental steps to build up to that place where you can push and go crazy. In your experience, for a person that uh, barely ever worked out, how much time does it take to get to a comfortable place of fitness? You mean like where they're working out on a regular basis or where they see change? Um, I would say, like, take a lazy person, like uh, someone who is, uh, like, uh, full on just in work and doesn't take care of his physical health, and a transformation where fitness is intertwined into the lifestyle. Six months to a year. Mm. People think it's going to be like the 30-day process. It's mm-hmm. not. You know, they say you're like 30 years old and you you never done anything. One month is not going to be long enough. It will help you establish the habit for sure if you can stick with it. But then I want you to stick with it for the second month. Because what I understand is what's happening through that time is you internally are, you know, on a subconscious level, you're looking for the change. And what happens after the first month is people are like, Ugh, no change happened. It didn't work. I'm going to stop. For me as a trainer, I know it takes longer than that. Mm-hmm. So what I encourage people to do is to very actively track their progress. What, so is that? Get a, what does that mean, actively tracking progress? So I make them get a journal. I make them, we have 
when I like coach someone privately, they have workouts that are benchmark workouts. So the workout for, you know, strength, and then there's like the workout for the hit interval time, reps, endurance, they will have one of those workouts. And I want them doing those workouts once a month. And we plan out when that's going to happen. But then what I also want them to have is just a journal, quick sentence, maybe two. How are you feeling? It doesn't have to be an everyday thing. It can be a once a week thing. What happens first when the body transforms is a non-scalable victory. So what you're looking at when I meet, when I say that is I mean my energy level has increased. So how do you mark that? Well, maybe you don't have the energy crash at like 3 p.m., right? I'm sleeping better. My joints hurt less. It's those victories that are going to happen first. Non-scalable means mm. every victory that you can have that literally is not on the scale in your bathroom. Mm. Okay. My pants are fitting better. I don't have to lay down on my bed to zip up my jeans. I believe that <laughs> what, what the listeners can do additionally is before you start dedicating your life to make a physical transformation is writing down your story of your current state of health. Mm -hmm. What worries you? Yes. What is wrong? What you're not satisfied with? And all the things that you are potentially suffering from mm -hmm. or something that really bothers you on a daily basis as a benchmark, where are you starting from? And that will really help to track the week-to-week -week change from actually comparing yourself with where you are currently to what, what, what are the non-scalable changes in life. Yes. And what I would also encourage them to do to even take that a step further is to write down why they're doing it. Not They can write down their goals for sure. I'm here for that. But why are you doing it? And not the why, not the why that you tell to like your friend, the why that you keep so deep inside that you're too embarrassed to share it with anybody else. Everybody if, has that. But what if you don't? What if you, uh, I'll change the question. Why, uh, what if you feel that you don't have it? Then you are not digging deep enough because you do. You do. Everybody does. I tell, I, uh, I've told other people, it's that I want to look good naked to myself with the lights on goal. It's that goal. Okay. What Everybody if, like, uh, there, there is an interesting thing here that I, I want to dive into personality typing theories for, for a moment here. Um, there's a really interesting personality typing theory called the four tendencies. The four tendencies looks at expectations and the game of inner and external expectations in life. And people who uh, are great at dealing with inner expectations, those are the questioners. And those are the people who don't abide to external uh, expectations. They, they just, anything that you tell them or expect from them, they're like, no, thank you. Only if something that you tell them and you... Uh, like convince them that it's something that they want and they say why they need it 
then it works mm -hmm. for them. Like, what are you saying now? Uh, the the expression of the idea that what is your core why? Why the hell do you want to be healthy? Why the hell do you want to be fit? Why do you need it? And this is a great question for a questionnaire because their life is built about internal expectations. And if they set one, they will follow through because they know why. And mm -hmm. as long as their why is present, as long as their why is in front of them, they will be dedicated to that full on. Mm -hmm. There's an opposite. An opposite is an obliger, a person who is never friends with internal expectations. They can set themselves any resolution, any fact, any uh, expectation that they put on themselves. They can paint out the most beautiful picture of why, but in the end, it doesn't motivate them to follow through. Hmm. But what actually makes them follow through is external expectation. And what I found uh, for myself, because I myself and I'm an obliger, uh, for me, internal expectations are not motivating, like at all. I cannot find something powerful enough that will be, uh, you know, maybe to the extreme that if I don't do it, I die. And I really know that I can die. That will be when I will do it. But that's an extreme case that you don't really get in an, in a normal situation. So then for you, for me, in external is more exactly. And for me, uh, like having an external expectation, for example, I give uh, give an example such as uh, having that accountability that you know that you're not the only one and your presence in a group is helping others as well. And mm -hmm. you know that you're meeting with a group of people that basically you're giving support to others by showing up. And that is motivating others to actually come and do. And then that is this kind of uh, constant support of each other. That is where the group coaching and coaching in general comes into a big, big theme. That for me, it's, it's not enough to have my own expectations to be set and follow through. For me, it's mm -hmm. also really important to have community. For me, it's also really important to see that what I'm doing, I'm not alone in this journey. And through actually putting myself in a situation where I have a group of people with whom we're doing it together, and I know that me showing up is, of course, it's helping me. Yes, I'll get fit. Yes, I'll get uh, the results that I want to get. But me showing up helps others to show up. That is way more motivating than putting myself in expectation to get somewhere. And this is where I want to kind of uh, say that um, I recommend anyone who is listening, like check out the four tendencies. This is a simple quiz, but it holds a lot of interesting insights in terms of how do you relate to expectations? And there are two other types and they're really interesting as well. There's, um, I don't remember uh, what is the name of the type, but basically they use the both worlds. They have really strong relationships with internal expectations and they take into account all the expectations that are external. So they are like scheduling people. They are like all about timing and scheduling and their life is about planning their life and fitting everything else inside of it. And what really bothers them and pisses them off if something goes not according to plan. But so they, they are really like they're planners of life and they abide to the expectations that they set and they don't need support. They just do it. It's just, you know, 
they are the people that actually follow through for themselves because they know what they need and they just do it. Mm-hmm. And there are rebels. Rebels are the people who resist everything, resist internal and external expectations. And it's a challenging type of people because uh, what they do is they go along with their feelings and what feels right for them at this moment of time. And I guess this is for those kind of people, you need to relax and actually listen to your body. And if you feel that you want to exercise, think about the ideas of what kind of exercise can you introduce when you have the field to do it. So just have something prepared and laying aside till that moment strikes and be open that it can strike and you can have that impulse to do it and just go do it. It doesn't matter when it is. Even even like a minute of workout can be beneficial to stimulating your metabolism in general. So yeah, understanding this type of relationships to internal and external accountability or internal and external expectations can play a big role into understanding what kind of support systems you need in place to mm-hmm. follow through on the results that you want to gain. So yeah, that's that really neatly fits in into the idea of um, when you're actually planning to get started in working out or in anything else in your life, in business as well, understand what kind of support system you need. Are you depending on your inner authority where you just need a powerful why in place and keep it in front of you all the time to be aligned with what you're trying to achieve? Or Mm -hmm. do you need really a person or a group of people that you're working together on a specific goal that is a common goal? And that helps you to move forward and be accountable and as well as have the perception that you're not doing it for yourself, but right. you're actually doing for others, but you're helping yourself along the way as well. So that's kind right. of what to look at. That's interesting. And I feel like that's where the private coaching is still so relevant for me because a lot of this stuff and the, like the questions that come up about fitness are so individually based. I can give really generalized answers and they can be helpful to some people, but being able to have that one-on-one conversation so that I can get to know a person better, you know, and like build that rapport, build that trust and break down that aspect of things, Mm. you know, because when you were talking, I can, I can think of a client who fits into each one of those categories and how I've addressed it as their trainer and what would have worked for one person would not have worked for the other. But being able to know them on an individual basis mm-hmm. has given me the ability to give them a solution that works the best for them. Mm. That's beautiful. As well as seeing, like, minus the rebel tendency, the live group coaching, how all of those have kind of come together. The people who show up when they don't really want to but they do it because they know that they're going to see this person or that person and they want to be in support of that person or the person who shows up because internally they're so driven to show up because they're so driven to get to that end goal. Whereas the first person might not even understand what that end goal means for them and how that kind of comes together in this like beautiful group environment. And then everybody's winning as a result. Lisa, tell us, please, how people who are listening that 
are thinking about starting and, and going into fitness and are resonating with you as a person to take them on that journey, how can they find you and reach out to you? So the two easiest ways I only give to you because we're busy, we don't have time to think about more, <laughs> is the website and my Instagram. So the website is a healthfullife.org. Um, I believe you can also get to it through the freebie that should that will be in the show notes. And that has everything. So all the recipe links are on there. The blog is on there, the Amazon store, and the link to the YouTube channel as well. So again, with the YouTube channel, it is free as long as you subscribe. Then there's, and it has all the links to like social media. I'm like waving my hand. Social media. <laughs> and then the Instagram, uh, the handle is my name, at Lisa Peronzo. And one links back to the other. So if you go into my bio on Instagram, you can get to like the website, private application for coaching. That's also on the website and all of the different things from there. Like I said earlier, I do post workouts all daily on Instagram. I will post a workout. It will be either within the post itself or within my stories. But the thing with all of this and with the freebie and all of these things is I am not in service to you if I'm not helping you as best as I possibly can. So when you download the freebie, if you look at it or you go onto the gram and you see the workout and you're like, I'm not sure how to do that exercise. I'm not sure how to work that interval. I don't know what weights to pick or, you know, I have this injury, that injury, and I don't know how to work around it. Please ask, like reach out, email me, go through the DMS on Instagram. That's usually faster. Reach out and ask me. So Instagram, like uh, direct messaging in Instagram is the fastest way to reach you. Yes, but make sure because the DMs on Instagram when you're not friends with me goes or whatever it is goes into that like abyss. Yeah. Make sure you're putting in why you're messaging me and that you heard me on this podcast so that I know to get back to you. And it's me answering. So for all of this, for emails about fitness, questions that come through the DMs that are fitness related, you're getting me. You're not getting somebody else going through it. And I welcome the questions. Mm. I want you to have success with this and to find something that resonates with you so that you can be, have a healthy lifestyle. That's the ultimate goal. So please don't keep the questions to yourself. Beautiful. Everything, as we said, will be in the description below. I thank you, Lisa, for sharing this live with us, uh, this show in general and sharing all your wisdom and everything that has got to do with fitness. And I believe that a lot of people who will be listening in the future will have an opportunity to actually get a lot of valuable ideas into what to do at home with their fitness, even if they didn't ever think about how it is possible to do at home. So all the links to reach out to Lisa will be in the description under this episode. Thank you, Lisa, for being with us. Oh, thank you for having me.